Here at Miss Teacher Mom, we recognize the great privilege and responsibility that we have as parents to educate our children. Beyond math and phonics, this also includes building their characters, molding their hearts, and reaching their souls. A burden too big to carry on our own. We sense the call to missional motherhood, but we could use some help from those who have more experience and wisdom than us. So we're calling upon some wonderful godly women and men to encourage and equip us as we seek to raise our kids with eternity in mind. I'm really excited to introduce you to today's guest, my dear friend, Kara Miller. We have served together at a local church in Massachusetts. My husband and I have lived with her family, and we have seen firsthand the gift that she is to her husband and her children. She's been married for 22 years, and she has three kids who are 19, 16, and 8 years old. And Kara, I'd love to talk to you today about what it means to discipline our kids with their heart in mind. I know this is a hot button topic. People are very opinionated about discipline and what it is. I'd love it, Kara, if you could just open us up by talking to us about what we mean when we talk about disciplining our children so that we're all on the same page. Uh, such a good question. Um, I think I want to start by actually defining discipline because I think there might be a bit of a misconception. When we, when we use the word discipline, often we mean punishment or consequence. And sometimes it's used that way in the Bible. I think, uh, is it Proverbs 3, where, where it, uh, the, the, the writer says, um, the, when the Lord disciplines you, don't, don't be sad about that. When the Lord reproves, so the Lord disciplines those he loves. So it's kind of associated with this reproof idea or a, um, kind of a, a punishment. But really, discipline, when you, when you break it down, it's, training you it's more of the noun than it is the verb you are saying i want my child to have good habits i'm going to train my child to have these good habits or disciplines so it's not always a punishment based idea it's a training based idea i want my child to have these habits as opposed to these habits um, and i think in the world um, you can have you can have people that say, well, we don't spank or we don't do timeout or we don't do any sort of reproving kinds of disciplines. But it is a wrong thing to say that parents are morally neutral or just neutral in general when it comes to vices and virtues. That's probably an older way of saying it. Every parent is trying to instill in their child particular disciplines. So there's not a parent on the planet that does not in some way, shape or form consciously or subconsciously practice disciplining. So it can be consequences for behaviors that they don't like. It can be just subconscious modeling behaviors that they do like, and the kids just mimic those behaviors. Um, and it can be active training children to have certain behaviors um, by maybe methods of, not necessarily consequence, but maybe methods of reward. But ultimately, you're everybody. It doesn't matter who you are. You are practicing discipline. Kara, that is so helpful. I think when most of us think of the term discipline, we assume that we're talking about punishment or consequences for our actions. And obviously, that's a part of it. But so much happens on the preventative side, on the training side, on the teaching side. So thank you so much for sharing that. Can you now quickly talk to us about where we get this in the Bible? In the Bible, 
um, the way the Lord kind of maps this out. I mean, from the very beginning, he calls himself our father and he makes us his children. And at the beginning, he, one of the first things he does with Adam and Eve is he gives them a virtue command. He requires a discipline from them. Here's the good command. You can eat of every fruit of the garden, but the, 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 the boundary I'm creating for you in order to help you have virtue and not vice, you may not eat from this particular tree. And of course, Adam and Eve failed that particular command and there were natural consequences, but the consequences aren't an end in of themselves. The consequences were a result of God's wanting to instill in them trust. I want you to love me. I want you to obey me. I want you to trust me. And if you don't do those things, well, this is the consequence for what happens when you um, don't follow my command. So, so from the beginning, God is making us his children and he is disciplining us. And that's, again, not just punishment. It's also proactive, positive commands. Do these things and these good things will happen. And then uh, as he makes uh, mothers and fathers and children, he's commanding us as parents to raise up our kids with the commands that he is giving us. So it's really sort of this, top down. And when you think about discipline, it's actually rooted in the word disciple. So really we are disciples of the Lord and now we are called to disciple our children. So if we think about discipline less as punishment and more as training and discipling, well, this is, this is exactly what we were created to be disciples and we were created to make disciples. This this is opportunity. This is like the most important thing you could be doing. This is what makes your life meaningful, purposeful, and productive. So as you're looking at your children and, and working towards training them, instead of thinking, oh man, this makes me sad that I have to give them consequences, reorient and think, oh my goodness, um, I have the opportunity to mold this life to be more like Jesus, as I want my own life to be more like Jesus. Uh, I, like this is sort of an innocuous example, but my youngest, uh, he's eight. He has a really pretty bad overbite. And so I took him to the orthodontist and the orthodontist gave him this little appliance. It's like a T4K trainer. And it's, it looks like a mouth guard, right? So he puts it in his mouth and it makes his bottom jaw jut out and he's supposed to wear it every night and for a couple of hours in the afternoon. And it's actually not super pleasant. Like he can't talk with it. It's really kind of hard to swallow around. It's uncomfortable. The first couple of nights that he wore it, it, you know, he would actually in his sleep, take it out of his mouth just because it was uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, but that discomfort is going to save him a ton greater discomfort later on with braces and potentially surgeries. If, his teeth aren't fixed. This is a much smaller discomfort, a smaller way of training his jaw and his teeth in order to save him a greater discomfort later. And that's what we as parents have the opportunity to do with our children. We have a, they're a young, slender branch that we can help mold next to a stronger, straighter standard stick um, 
that that is easy, less less painful to try to fix than if they were a strong, fully grown tree and crooked, we would actually have to cut them down. There'd be no way to train them. Um, so anyway, it's an opportunity. I guess I want to I want to help you myself and parents just in general rephrase the idea that somehow um, discipline is oh, like a joyless and purposeless and sad kind of prospect. It's actually our greatest opportunity. Like we have these young uh, moldable children yeah. who are, who are our greatest gift. And we have this opportunity to lead them to be more like Jesus. Like that, there's just nothing more beautiful than that. Kara, I feel like I need this reminder all the time. In the day-to-day, disciplining and training can seem so mundane, and sometimes I even wonder if it's working. But you've reminded me of the privilege and opportunity and purpose that we have behind training and disciplining our kids. Um, I know we don't have a ton of time, so I'd love to talk about getting practical. What does it mean to discipline our kids with the gospel in mind, with their hearts in mind? What does that look like on a day-to-day level? Um, Well, I think I probably would start by saying that one of the most important things that we need to do as uh, reborn new creations in Christ is tell ourselves the gospel over and over all the time. And so as I am uh, reading God's word and having his spirit speak to me and speaking the gospel to my own heart and being aware of my own heart's wickedness, my own heart's deceit, the way I am justifying myself, the sins of the thoughts, uh, jealousies, uh, justifications, pride that exists in my own heart. Um, as the Lord is revealing those to me and I am confessing them and speaking the gospel back into my heart or having the spirit speak the gospel into my heart. Uh, when that happens in me, then it will automatically happen as you engage with your children. So it has to happen in you first. That's the starting point. And then when you engage with your kids, you are already so familiar with the depth of depravity in your own heart your ability to see where their heart is at and the gospel's healing message for them, you're able to speak both. You're able to speak very clearly, hey, this is the sin. I see it. It's not good. It's going to destroy you. But look look what Jesus did. Look how God is healing that. Let's confess this to him and receive his forgiveness and then ask his spirit to help us make changes. That, that's the gospel. That's, we need to be saying that to ourselves all the time and we need to be speaking the gospel to our kids. And I know we talk about maybe doing things differently as our kids age, but the reality is um, when my children were babies and I was addressing them, Um, even when I knew they couldn't understand me, I was speaking out the gospel to them because I needed to hear it as I was disciplining them or as I was engaging with them. I needed to hear the gospel. I'm speaking it to myself. I'm going to speak it out loud. You can hear my process. Mm -hmm. Um, so that, so that I am, I am doing it and I'm doing it with them. It's, that's discipling, right? Imitate me as I imitate Jesus, and this is the way it plays itself out. So, like some some examples of yeah. that, um, and some of these things I actually learned from really good books that I read. Like Shepherding a Child's Heart was a really good one that helped me uh, see 
just like when you when you engage with your child about something that they have done that you know is wrong, instead of asking them why did you do it, you say what did you do that was wrong? What did you do that was a sin? And what did you do that would hurt God's heart? And then they have the opportunity in that moment to identify and address their sin and speak it out. So, so often I will hear my children say things like, oh, the, the bowl dropped. And then I'll say, no, I want you to tell me what did you do and take responsibility and confess your sin. That's natural, natural human behavior is to avoid, back away from, pretend, deceive yourself, justify your actions. If you can train your children to see the sin in their own heart and acknowledge it, then confess it and bring it to the Lord. You have just, that's, that's a huge training thing that we all need. We all need to be able to take responsibility, but then you don't end in despair, right? If we take responsibility and there's no recourse, we're just broken and there's no fixing, that's horrible. That's probably why most of the world doesn't even address this issue because I just broke something and there's no fixing it. So let's just shove it under the rug and pretend it didn't happen. Mm. But that's the gospel. The gospel is no, 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 there's a fix, but you have to recognize the breaking first. You have to recognize what you broke. You have to admit that you broke it. And then you have to go to the Lord and say, okay, please fix me. That's what we get to do with our kids all the time. So when you, when you go head first in and say, honey, I'm sorry, you lied. And when you lie, if you lie consistently, that makes you a liar. Do you want to be enslaved by lying? Like that sounds super harsh. And it is. It is a harsh thing. But that's exactly what the Bible says we will be. We will be enslaved to that sin. So then when they are approached with that harshness, the idea of them, like it's easy to say, oh, yeah, I told a little white lie. But to actually sit and think, oh, my goodness, I'm a liar is a much harder thing to sit in. And then you say, but look, Jesus died for that sin and it cost him a lot. So let's go talk about what Jesus did for us and the forgiveness you can receive. And now the power you have not to lie. Those are things, those again, gospel, 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 gospel conversations that you have with your children all the time. And it's always an opportunity when you, if you are, if you are neck deep, in the reality of your own sin, then your children's sin won't shock you and you won't be, oh my goodness, my kid is horrible and wicked. Yes, yes, your, ch- your child is horrible and wicked. That's just the truth. Um, you won't be shocked by it. Every day you'll wake up and you'll be prepared to deal with the sin that's in your own heart and you'll be prepared to deal with the ki- your, your children's sin that's going to happen over and over and over again. And every time it's an opportunity to speak the gospel to yourself and to your child. It's, it, God, God orchestrated it this way. We need to be dependent on him, dependent on the gospel and show our children how we're dependent and how they need to be dependent. Kara, I really hope that what you're sharing is as helpful to other moms as it is to me. Even this morning, I've been working hard to lovingly train and discipline my children, and it is exhausting and frustrating. But you're reminding me of such mind-blowing truths that my kids need the gospel just like I do. They need to see their sin for what it is just like I do, and they need to go to Christ for help just like I do. So thank you for reminding us of that. And I know 
your oldest is 19, your youngest is 8, so you've been in this for many years, but you still have many years to go. How can you encourage moms who look ahead with exhaustion or are overwhelmed and recognize that we still have a long way to go? Um, well, first of all, it's really easy in these kinds of talks um, when you're dealing in the ideal to make it sound like you have met that ideal. I have not met that ideal. I mean, obviously that my goal is to speak the gospel to my children all the time, but that's, I'm not a perfect person and that just doesn't happen. Um, but then just practically, I would say one thing um, that I had to keep in the forefront of my mind uh, as I was uh being a parent and, and am being a parent to my children. Um, my first priority as a human being is to love God. The second priority then being married is to love and honor my husband. And then my third priority is to disciple and train my children. And I think one of the things, and it, it's part of our society one of the things that women in particular have a tough time with in this culture and time is feeling a ton of outside pressure to do, be, pursue lots of things, which then tug at them from multiple different directions and yeah. pull them away from some of their main priorities, like being, uh, being a daughter of the king first and making that something that you center your whole life and self around uh, and, and being ready and willing and, and available to your husband so that he feels like he is a priority in your life and making your children priorities. Th that requires limiting. Like we are not, we are finite individuals. So yeah. we are going to have to limit our time and energy for other things if we truly want our families to flourish. I mean, again, let's go back to the gospel because it's not just about having a happy, healthy marriage or happy, healthy, productive kids. Mm -hmm. um, these are really nice things, but the ultimate goal is to bring glory to the Lord and be a witness of who he is as the perfect father and belonging in his family and being ready for his kingdom that is coming. This can come across as, oh my goodness, I have to do, I have to do the loving. I have to do the disciplining. I have to speak these particular words. And it becomes sort of a works-based narrative that just you feel either, either you feel like, oh, I've got this, and then you feel better than all the other parents, or you feel burdened, like there's no possible way I can accomplish this. Again, going back to the gospel, all you have to do is look to what Jesus has already done for you. and Make that the center of what you think and believe. And part of that is training your mind to think on the gospel all the time, having it in the forefront of your mind all the time. But a lot of it is just habitual. Like you are just remembering, remembering, remembering with your body, with your actions, with your words, what the gospel is, what Christ has done. This is not about what you can do, willing yourself, pulling yourself up by the, your own bootstraps. I'm going to be a better mom. I'm going to be a better wife. 
you're not, you're, you're not, you need Jesus. You are dependent on him to save you. So in that dependency, let find rest in Christ that that rest then leads you towards relying on the gospel as you approach your life with your relationships. Yes. Kara, there is no better place to end than with the gospel. The gospel is what reminds us of who we are in Christ, that we are judged not by our parenting, but by what Christ has done on the cross on our behalf to redeem us, to save us, to make us new, and to equip us to be the mothers that he's calling us to be. The gospel is a reminder that our children are in the hands of God, that yes, we're called to train them with their hearts and mind, with eternity and mind, but he is the one that saves them. And we can rest that the one who saved us is more than able to save our children. So thank you so much for those reminders. And I ask um, just quickly before we go, if you could let us know if there are any resources that you could recommend for moms who want to learn more about biblical parenting and disciplining their kids with their hearts in mind. Um, Yeah, so I mentioned Shepherding a Child's Heart. I think was that by one of the Tripp brothers and then the the other book that they wrote or one of them wrote, Paul David Tripp, um, Parenting, 14 Gospel Principles, something like that. That's also really, really good. And then the the third book is You Are What You Love by, I think, James K. Smith. I think that's the author. Um, That's less about parenting, but more about idolatry and being able to look at your own heart and see if you are worshiping what you think you worship. It's very, very good. Kara, thank you for those recommendations. I'm definitely going to check them out and hopefully the other ladies will as well. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I love you dearly and you've been such a gift to people who are listening. Thank you for your encouragement and your example of what it means to be a mom who loves her children with eternity in mind. Thank you so much, Caitlin. Thanks for for inviting me. It's great. I hope that today's episode has encouraged and equipped you to raise your children with eternity in mind. And remember, we are not doing this alone. As Christians, God wills us to will and to work for His good pleasure. We are trusting in the finished work of Christ, and we're empowered by His Holy Spirit. If this episode has been helpful to you, could you please write a review for other moms and share this podcast with your friends? For more information and the show notes, check out MissTeacherMom.com. And please join us next week for the Miss Teacher Mom podcast.